It's Monday, April 23rd, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. This is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and specifically Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 35. So as we get ready to look at what the Lord has for us, let us see that Jesus is going to talk about salvation and the need for us to be saved and, and, and the means of our salvation and the urgency of our salvation. So without delay, let's read Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 35. He being Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house is risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and we drank in your presence and we taught in your streets. But he said, he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Oh, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is the second mention that Jesus was on a journey to Jerusalem. Luke 9:51 also tells us, and this is when Jesus first set his face to go to Jerusalem, that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, for him to give up his life, for him to sacrifice his life as a ransom for us, that he set his face on the way to Jerusalem. So Luke is reminding us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And we know that, that Luke tells us that through this journey to Jerusalem, it was not an ordinary pilgrimage, but it was a journey to the cross and a journey to to rescue his people from their sins. And, and all along the way to Jerusalem, Jesus finds himself in hamlets and villages and cities where he's able to teach and preach about the coming kingdom and heal the needs of the people. So in this certain unnamed town, a man asked Jesus the question that's found in verse 23, will, will those who are saved be few? But we see the urgency in Jesus' answer in verse 24, urgency that should remind us today that we do not know the times and we must be intentional about preaching the gospel. Jesus doesn't answer this man's question, but as Jesus does so many times, he turns the man's question back onto itself and into a divine teaching moment. Jesus doesn't speculate on God's plans and actions. He doesn't bring out charts and graphs. No, he examines this man's heart and our heart when he bluntly teaches the way to salvation is narrow and many will miss it. Oh, beloved, this fuels our life's mission to speak of the excellencies of God's all-sufficient grace to our friends, our family members, our neighbors. Think, uh, many think they've found the way. Many are seeking 
but few will find the way. And so this morning, I want us to see three possible narrow gates, two that will not lead to the narrow gate and the ultimate third that will lead to this narrow gate that Jesus is preaching about. Number one, the first way that people try to find the narrow gate is through the law, by keeping the law. Some people believe in working their way to heaven as if they could earn their salvation. Notice Jesus didn't say that this was a closed gate or an impossible way. He says it's a narrow way. Jesus prescribed to the rich young ruler, a man that was looking to earn the kingdom of God through his rule keeping. Right. He comes and says, you know, I've kept all the commandments. I've done everything. But then Jesus turns it on the head in Matthew 19, 21, when he says to the rich young ruler, if you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Many get trapped on this episode of Jesus with the rich young ruler thinking the prescription to get in the kingdom of God is a vow of poverty where they sell all worldly possessions. It's as if we have no way to get to the kingdom unless we sell everything, have no worldly possessions and join a monastery or a nunnery. But the mark is much higher. The mark is not just selling worldly possessions. The mark is perfection. Jesus says in the fifth word in the ESV in Matthew 19, 21, if you would be perfect. And Romans 3, 23 reminds us that we have all missed the mark of sinless perfection. All of us have transgressed the law of God. And not just once, but daily, hourly, moment by moment, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, oh, don't miss it, beloved. The narrow gate cannot be found by keeping the law. But then second, there are people who believe they'll find the narrow gate by just simply believing, praying a prayer, going to church, and and having some Christianese language by living a licentious lifestyle, either in public or in private, without regards to a changed life in Christ. Oh, some people think the narrow road, the narrow road is simply just a profession of faith, no matter if a changed life occurs. Jesus quickly dispels that rumor to anyone who might have been standing around that the day that day and dispels it for us who are reading these pages. Oh, look at verses 25 through 27. It's a scary reality. This is what Jesus says. He says, when the master of the house is risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, he will answer, I don't know you and I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate, we drank in your presence and, and you taught in our streets. You were in our town. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Oh, the scary reality is that many who are surrounding Jesus, marveling at Jesus, were believing the message of Jesus, and we're, we're going with him from town to town and not found the narrow gate. Ah, the scariest verse to me in the Bible is James 2.19. James says in the beginning of, of James 2, starting in verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Oh, verse 19, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Beloved, simple belief, going to church and living a decent life is not the narrow gate. You cannot find the narrow gate by saying a prescribed prayer and living your life as if nothing happened. Oh, that leads us to the third and the final way that we do find the narrow gate, that we can become part of that path. And that's personal faith in Christ through repentance, which acknowledges that salvation comes only in Christ and Christ alone. We turn from the idea that we can make it on our own. And this is the narrow gate, putting our faith and trust in the sacrifice Jesus made at the cross. 
Oh, Acts 4 verses 10 through 13 says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, he is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, beloved, there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 53, this this passage that we read a lot before Easter. Oh, beloved, it is a beautiful passage of the coming of Christ that Jesus was crushed for us, but it also holds for us the narrow gate. It tells us that through the blood of Christ, we find the narrow gate. Starting in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as, uh, and as one whom they hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, oh, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Oh, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as of this generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Oh, and then verse 10. Yet it was was what the will of the Lord Yahweh. It was his divine forbearance to crush him, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's us. He shall prolong his days. That's those of us that are redeemed. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Oh, beloved, there's hope for the narrow gate. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Oh, beloved, Jesus makes us Oh, he makes us accounted as righteous when we trust in the all-sufficient power of Christ Jesus. There is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. When we place our trust and our faith in him and we let him change us from the inside out, then we have found the narrow gate. Oh, that is good news, beloved, that Jesus was crushed for us. He died the death we deserved and he lived the life we couldn't in order that the narrow gate could be open for by which men could be saved. And this is good news, But it's also good news that demands our urgent attention because as we saw in verses 25 through 29, we know neither the time nor the hour when our lives will end. The life of a loved one will end or the king will come back and it will be too late. When will the master of the house rise and shut the door? Verse 25, when at once the master of the house is risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door. Oh, beloved, when that gate is closed, there's no way to get in. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Blake Wilson, our director of operations, and I were in Kansas, and we had an opportunity to stay with a precious family, and they ha- had allowed us to, to stay in their guest home. 
And one night after an event that we were doing with our Kansas team, we came in rather late, about 11 p.m., and we come up to the property, and uh, the guest house is set probably a good quarter of a mile behind the gate. And the very next morning, we were going to have to get up early to make it to the airport all the way in Kansas City, which is about an hour and a half drive. And we realized that the gate had been closed, and we didn't know the code. Because it's 11 p.m., our, our host was already in bed and already asleep, and we tried everything. We probably looked pretty silly. I, I, I jumped the fence, was trying to trigger the gate, thinking there would be some type of, of mechanical arm. We did everything that we could. Now, ultimately, right, we were able to find a way, and we were able to get around the gate, and uh, I won't tell you exactly how we did that, but we got in somehow. But here's the deal, beloved. The, The reality is, and this passage is preaching, that hell is real. Separation from God is true. And there won't be a time to get an extra code. There is an urgency of hell. This passage tells us that once it is done, once the door is shut, there is no way to get in. This passage tells us that universalism is wrong and downright foolish. Universalism, the belief that once we die, we'll have one more chance, one more lifeline. People will not have a chance to repent once they die. So we must go and tell them and we must be attentive to the faithfully preach this word in our homes to our neighbors and to those that are in our uh, sphere of influence. The Thabiti Anawile, he says this, he says, our evangelism should create an honest urgency. Too many people act as if hell is only a conceptual problem. They act as if hell is not real. They act as if there is no kingdom to gain or lose. No one outside of Jesus should ever ask the question, are only a few people going to be saved without trembling in horror that they or someone that they could reach may not be in that number. Beloved, the day of our salvation is near and at hand for the redeemed. Are we faithfully preaching the message of the kingdom and drawing others to repent, believe, and turn to Christ in faith. And that brings us to Luke 13, 30. And Jesus says, and behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. There's a great reversal taking place in the world in which the first are becoming last and the last are becoming first. The proud are being brought low and the humble are being exalted. Luke places great emphasis on God's love for the poor, the tax collectors, the outcasts, the sinners, women, Samaritans, and Gentiles. Oh, and then the gospel, it rebukes the arrogant, the lovers of money, the proud and the self-righteous. After this urgent call towards an narrow gate, Jesus reminds us in simplicity what Paul recites in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 31, when he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Oh, beloved. The first will be last and the last will be first. And if you want to find the narrow gate, you have to lay down your pride, your arrogance, and you have to come lowly to the cross and be humbled. The humbled will be exalted. And this takes us to the last verses in this chapter, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, and the conclusion of the chapter. You see, the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus as well. And so it's kind of perplexing when they say to Jesus in verse 31, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. 
right? The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus themselves. So why would they come and, and warn that Herod is enraged and wants Jesus killed? Oh, in that day, beloved, know that if, if, if the king wanted you dead, there really wasn't much you could do about it. So the Pharisees were actually warning Jesus, this is a serious and real threat. And this is not just us. Hey, the king wants you dead. Oh, and there are two attributes that Jesus shows in the face of this tribulation and trial that are both important for us to mimic. Number one, Jesus is bold in the face of threats. Listen to his words. He says, tell that fox that I'm about my work and I'll leave town when I've completed my father's work. The only Lord. He basically looks in the king's face and said, you're not my boss. Jesus doesn't shrink back from the mission that the Lord has given him. And part of the mission is being bold about the truth. Jesus tells the Pharisees in verse 35, your house is forsaken. Beloved, this is not a prosperity gospel. This is consistent with the narrow gate. Jesus is warning with great boldness that his audience and many people were perishing. He didn't mince words. He didn't try to soften the message. He told the truth and he was about the mission. Oh, threats of all kinds will come against our mission and message. They're going to come. We will, we will. And, and the question is, will we be bold in those attacks? People will wrong, wrongfully accuse us. People will question the mission. People will demand that we stop or tell us that we're crazy if we continue. Physical peril could be threatened and it could be real. And beloved, adoption, foster care, and ministry to the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, and the birth parents, it will always have moments when it is hard and it may seem impossible. And the question is, are we going to shrink back and quit? Are we going to be bold like Jesus in the face of true adversity? So number one, Jesus was bold in the face of his trials. But number two, Jesus was utterly broken by sin and lostness. Look at the beauty of verse 34 when Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Oh, beloved, Luke 19, 41 through 44 is another lament when Jesus finally makes it to Jerusalem. And he said, would that you, even you had known on this day, the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. The Lord Jesus was bold, but he's also broken. And we must emulate him by equally being bold and broken. Many times we can be bold, but uncaring. And that's just rude. Or we can be broken, but also fearful to the point that we are ineffective. No, we should be bold enough to risk everything for the Lord. And yet broken enough over those who refuse to repent and believe. We cannot shrink back from hard truth if we are to be faithful evangelists. That's unloving and untruthful. But we ought never speak hard truth with a hard heart. That's unloving and that misrepresents the truth. Beloved, we need to be bold and broken as we go and serve and preach the gospel to those who are perishing while trying to find the narrow gate. So this week, we are praying for the country of Brazil. And as you know, Farah and Beth and Josh and I were, were in this country almost a month ago. And we, want, we just want to pray for the country of Brazil, to pray for truth and conviction of the people of Brazil. A great amount of poverty and liberalism and societal issue impacts the people on a daily basis. We want to pray for the Lord's good news to be spread in a predominantly legalistic and very liberal society. 
We pray for the local church and the missionaries residing in Brazil, that they will be bold, that they will be broken, that they will be united, and that they will be encouraged. And we, we specifically want to pray for Deborah and Billy and Vanessa and Bettina. Uh, and these were folks that we met on our trip to Brazil and translated for us and are sharing the gospel daily throughout Brazil. We pray for our current families going through this process. Pray for them as they compete, complete their home studies and dossiers. Pray for two families who are pursuing family members. Oh, and we want to pray for our post families, our families that are home with their children. Specifically pray for a family who brought home uh, uh, some children from two biological daughters from Brazil. And we just pray that their relationship would continue to strengthen. Pray for mission-minded families who want to pursue adoption from Brazil. Pray for the children in care of the Seha and, and the people who are living on the streets. Pray that God would reveal himself to them and provide for their needs and bring their past across other believers that would help and care for them. Pray specifically for a little 14-year-old girl that we met in Corihiba, for Sabrina, and that our team will just continue to advocate for her. Pray that a family would reach out to learn more about her and desire to be a part of her family. Pray for our team here, for Josh, for Beth, and for Farah, and pray for our team on the ground, Marcia and Marcos. Oh, we, we pray that they will feel supported as they continue to advocate for the children of Brazil. And pray for the workers at ACAF and Seha, and that they will make decisions that are in the best interest for children. Let's pray now for the country of Brazil. Lord, we pray for this country. We pray that you would be Lord of Brazil. We pray that you would make the people come to know you. We pray that you would turn them from their blindness and their brokenness to the only name that saves. Lord, we pray that the people of Brazil would be able to find the narrow gate. And we pray for these saints that are there, that they would self-sacrificially continue to share the gospel of the kingdom and that you would use that message to prick the hearts and minds of people in Brazil, that you would break them out of their legalistic religion, that you would break them out of the bondage of their trust in government, and that ultimately they would trust in the only name under heaven by which men can be saved, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for our team, for Josh, for Beth, for Farah, for Marcia, for Marcos. We pray for these, these saints that we were able to meet, for Deborah, for Billy, for Vanessa, and for Bettina, and we pray that you would use them to reach the gospel into the lives of children, to reach the gospel in the lives of family. We ultimately pray that you would redeem men, women, boys, and girls all throughout Brazil for your name, for your purpose, and for your glory. And in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.